Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The original one, of course. On tonight's show, we're going to bust in the glory of Euro 96. It's highs and lows for Ireland at the World Cup in USA in 1994. And the Dutchman flies into the Premier League. Yes, we're talking Dennis Bergkamp. All that and loads more to come here on This Week in the 90s. This is John Harks, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Remember... Keep it 90s. Yeah, we're back. We had a little week off. Um, busy week when I'm sure you've all got World Cup fever like the, all the three of us have here on it on a live gig in. Uh, we did our own World Cup show, which uh, Mr. Mr. Young was on, which we'll talk about in a second. If you haven't downloaded that already, get on your feed and have a listen to that. We decided which was the best World Cup of the 90s, which was a surprising result. I won't spoil it, but yeah, I didn't expect the result that we got, uh, but we had fun at discussing that with uh, firstly. Yeah, exactly. He had great fun. That is the voice, of course. Mr. Joel Young, social media mogul, Borough fan, and yeah, we had fun discussing the best World Cup of the nineties, didn't we? I did. I enjoyed that one. Yeah, it was it was good fun, and I think we came to the right decision. Although you know, no spoilers. Yeah, no, I think we did overall. Yeah, there's no biasism. You know, biasism aside, I think we did come to the right decision. Um, Sashin Nakrani of the Guardian and of Chuckle Lovers as well joins us, and uh, I, w- I will tell you, he drops a nineties bomb by telling us that he thinks the Dennis Burkham goal at World Cup uh, ninety eight is overrated. Yeah, I know, I can't believe it either, but yeah. Put all your um, mean tweets towards Sashin because yeah, I couldn't believe that either. But we're not spoiling anything else. But yeah, download that and listen to that. Somebody couldn't join us for that show, but he's always here for this week on the nineties. He is a, a journalist for the Sportsman and uh, Tifo Football. Now is one of his newest outlets. Uh, Matthew Christ, how you doing, Matthew? I'm good, thanks, mate. I've got over uh, being dropped for the World <laughs> Cup show. Um, Rested. I've, I've had I've had my tantrum. I thrown my tracksuit down on the floor and uh, got my head down and got back into training and. Uh, I'm over it now. I, mean, it's I did. Bad. I did. I did get a text from Matthew saying he could stick. He, we could stick our World Cup up our bollocks. Yeah. So, yeah. I, mean, well, I don't know where he's getting that sort of disgusting well, language from. How dare he? We should well, find well, him well, one week's wages. When Ash broke the news to me on that golf course in the manga that I wasn't <laughs> going to be in the show, I, uh, I must admit I did. I did lose it somewhat. But yeah, the expletives but, uh, that came my way was uh, was disturbing. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm hear, back now. You'll hear it in my autobiography when it's uh, when somebody wants to decide to write that. Um, but how are you doing otherwise? What was your favourite World Cup of the nineties, Matthew? If you'd been on that show, where would you where would you have aligned yourself with? Um, funnily enough, it would probably be ninety four. Oh, I just like in my camp. Well, I just, I just, it's not really an England thing. It's just I, I just liked the, uh, I just liked the, the fact that the games were late and they were. It was in America. It was the, you know, the colours. A bit, pretty much everything you say about it. Really, the kits. Mm. The, you know, I, 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 I always found it's the ninety a bit dull to be honest. I don't know why, but it just obviously there was hardly any goals in the games, and uh, I don't know. I just, yeah, personally, purely for a personal opinion, I'd say USA ninety four. But I know the general consensus would probably be uh, USA ninety. Well, have, but, a listen, have, have, have a listen to the pod and find out which one because uh, it was fun dissecting each World Cup for sure. I had a lot of fun in, in, in doing that. And I think the guys on Twitter, we did a poll actually, Italia 91 on the poll. We did a poll in earlier in the week as well. And I settled a debate between uh, Sashin again and uh, one of his followers who was just, uh, describing the, well, debating, I should say, 
the best World Cup song of the 90s. And they, one said Three Lions, one said World of Emotion. So I put a poll out and you lot decided it was uh, Three Lions, which I'm sorry, I disagree with as well. But um, that is what the, the masses voted on. Right. So here we go. <laughs> I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the absolute definitive on this. Go on. OK. World of Emotion is a better song. Yes. But Three Lions is a better football song i suppose you've because, got that the chanty bit haven't you well world emotion isn't especially about football no it isn't it, it's about love's got the world emotion i mean as john barnes says in the rap indeed but it was going to be i mean originally it was going to be called east, east for england, england yeah. the, FA, the fa weren't having east for england for whatever reason they were thinking about there but it's not it, it's not a football song whereas three lions is a football song it's about the disappointment and getting your hopes up which is about where we are now getting your hopes up and everything and having it the rug pulled out from under you but maybe this time whereas world emotion is just a good very good pop song that with, aside though that with aside, a load which, of football tagged onto it which is your favorite though which is my favorite song yeah out of the two i mean oh, you've God. you and um, i'd probably go in your order to be honest but I would. yeah I I would. Me too. but um but you can't help but I mean I was in the pub last night for the England Tunis I thought you might have been yeah yeah. because well, I said because I suggested doing an impromptu podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah. someone had a drink <laughs> yeah, I went out boozing I wish uh, we had now I'd love to have heard it oh god that'd have been fun but it was but everybody was singing that and I think and, and what's interesting I was thinking about this today doing a bit of prep but I think because you know obviously we all support our clubs and we all, and we all have our own chance at our, at our own clubs but England fans, like you, you do get your hardcore who go to every match, but the, I, I imagine they're few and far between, really. And so chants don't get a chance to to take root, I think, for England. But Three Lions does yeah. because yeah. everybody knows it and everybody can sing it and everybody knows the chorus, etc., etc., etc. So it, by that way, it's so in, entrenched in our football now that you know it, it, it is that song and and that's the thing it's become a chant at england level because really there's nothing else that anybody sings at england level is there mm. apart from doing the dam busters and vindaloo gets a bit i saw a lot of videos today of um pubs singing a bit of vindaloo i think that still gets a lot of love because that's got a singing chorus as yeah, well yeah. isn't it I, I really don't like that record do you um, for that, for that reason, I it's think. all right. I mean, it's not the other. I think it's you know, it's way off the other two, but it's all right. Yeah. I don't mind it. I quite like Black Crape in England's Irie as well, but that's a bit of an obscure that one. So I quite, I quite like the the thing that's funny about Vindaloo is they got a load of you know Keith Allen says this quite a lot is you know he was quite pleased that he got a load of racist thugs to sing what was a song about immigration. And yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, great. Well, we're on. While we're on the subject of uh, music and football, can I quickly ask Ash your opinion of the uh, themed TV theme tunes for this year's World Cup? They're all right. I don't know if they're. I think I'm bitterly disappointed myself. I think I think they missed a trip. To be honest, I, I like I the way that I, I'm very happy that ITV have dropped that creepy ringmaster. If you follow me on Twitter, I sort of gave it two days, <laughs> and uh, by the third, by Sunday, it had gone. I don't so think I they'll live um, too long in the memory. I I instantly can't remember them. To be honest. No, well, I, I don't think they're up there with their. Uh, well, they're not glory land, are they? Let's be honest. Or Aztec Gold, or yeah. well, I can't mention that because it's 80s. Like I said but... to you, mate, though, you know, the other day, the best one they ever had was Brazil 2014 playing Stevie Wonder, another star. Thank you very much. Nothing on yeah. the TV. Yeah, yeah, if you want I to agree. read about the, the best and the worst um, football tunes, there, that's your new article for. Was that the Sportsman, wasn't it? 
Oh, was it? Oh, I'd forgotten about that. Ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, did a piece this week for the Sportsman, just basically picking what I think are the, the best five World Cup theme tunes of all Picks time. very well and as well. Did you see, Matthew, you know you did the thing about the panels? Yes. And, yeah. and everything. And ITV have put together a really nice little sort of three-minute bit of everybody at World Cup panels and things and sort of wacky stuff. And they've, they've sneakily dropped in Gary Lineker doing links for ITV as well, which is quite good fun. So if you, I think they showed it today during, I can't even remember what the second match was today. Poland and uh, Poland Senegal. Senegal. Yeah. They showed it in the middle of that, yeah. So it's, it's worth uh, I see. Always, always on the pulse, me, you see. Yeah, always on the pulse. That was good. Yeah. A bit of Brian Moore. Brian. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love a bit uh, of Brian Jim Moore. Rosenthal. You know, Gary Newborn was on. It's all happening. Yeah, that's a good mix of people. Um, Brian, oh, oh, he's a great commentator. It always reminds me of um, he did the narration for Gascoigne's Glory, which is the VHS that came out after um, Italia 90, which is a, something I posted on Twitter uh, a few days ago because I always want to think of World Cups. So I think of that VHS that I used to play over and over again uh, that summer. Um, let's talk this week in the 90s. I was going to segue when we were talking about um, Three Lions, but we went off on another tangent anyway because our first subject tonight we, is international because we all, all have major World Cup fever at the moment having watched as many games as I can ever remember watching so many in such a short base of time this weekend um, but we're going to Euro 96 the beautiful summer of Euro 96 um, talking about two games because they uh, happened the same week um, we've already missed the Scotland and the Switzerland game so we're going straight for what is arguably one of the best England games since 1966. We are talking the 18th of June, 1996. Uh, England-Netherlands, that amazing 4-1 victory. I mean, Joe, you were on our Euro 96 pod the first time round we did it, but I mean, it's still a summer that we hold very dear to our hearts, and this is kind of the, the crescendo to that tournament in a way, I think. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, that that was the, the peak of it, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's what I more mean, yeah, the peak, yeah. It was, it was, oh, what, what, what a time that was. Go on, do you want to, do you want to go in? Wait, Ash, do you want to tell us about the first goal? The first goal? The Alan Shearer penalty? Oh, yeah. No, sorry, the second one. The oh, second okay. One. Oh, the, the the goal that everyone talks about. Because, I mean, okay. what, what I found about with this game as well, I haven't probably watched this game in full for a few years. Obviously, I've seen the highlights and the goals for many, many times. Every time a tournament comes around, they play these goals. They were playing it yesterday because it was obviously on the anniversary as well um, before the Tunisia game. And you, you forget that actually England didn't start the game too well and Holland were on top. And I looked at the stats afterwards. Holland actually had more shots, more passes, more possession over the whole game. But England in, in periods and, and sprinkles were absolutely amazing. And you're right, Joe, it was summed up by the second Alan Shearer goal, which is one of the best pieces of football I've ever seen an England team play. Um, with the, the dummy, was it the pass from Gaza, the dummy from Sheringham and the finish from Shearer? It's one of the best England goals you'll ever see. It's just a wonderful Tuesday night, that was. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I was watching it with uh, Dutch friends and uh, it didn't go down very well. But I think <laughs> it was the absolute height of that because if you look at it, that, and Euro 96 as a whole, I think, isn't viewed as a particularly memorable tournament outside of England. No. Maybe for the Czechs, maybe for the Croatians. I mean, the Germans barely think about it for a start. You know, they won it. Um, it's but that night of England Holland was so. It was just everything clicked. Everything came together. You know, and and then there was the the sort of added bonus that the one goal that they did score <laughs> yeah. against us managed to knock out Scotland. So that was- <laughs> 
No, that was the the cherry on top of the cake, wasn't it? Uh, Matthew, we've never really talked about Euro 96. Take us back to your Euro 96. I mean, because I always talk about this magical summer. You know, it was the summer of Britpop. It was New Britannia. It was all that. The Spice Girls rolled into one. What do you remember of Euro 96 and this game in particular? Yeah, well, it was, like you say, it was it was the peak. I mean, a lot of them, um, we always forget, don't we, that it didn't didn't well we spoke last time we were on about how it didn't start too well for England because they had that sort of miserable 1-1 draw with with uh, Switzerland which they always seem to do at every tournament they almost did last night didn't they with a, a, a standard 1-1 draw but mm-hmm. um, it kind of it clicked against Scotland but then this game it, it, it really did all come together and like you say Scotland uh, Scotland Holland were uh, probably the better team for a lot of this game but it was the classic sort of Venable's approach, wasn't it, of, of let let the other team have the ball and let them have the possession, but then when we have the possession, do something with it, which is, is kind of how football is is become these days, isn't it? With possession doesn't really mean that you're the best team in the fixture, but um, yeah, a glorious game. And I think I might have mentioned before, I actually had Alan Shearer to be uh, top scorer in this tournament. I backed him at sixteen to one because he hadn't scored for twenty one games, was it? Thirteen games. Did you pay the tax on that bet? Matthew? I were, um, I'm trying to think when whether when the tax law changed, but yeah, I'm sure I would have done. You um, slips this week of I, good fun. Yeah, I have got. Yeah, well, obviously I haven't got the betting set for that one because it won. So I actually uh, handed that yeah, in for it, for uh, exchange of about <clears throat> I don't know what I got back. Uh, he was sixteen to one. I think I had five on him, so about eighty odd quid. But I would have paid the tax, I'm sure, on that kind of <laughs> that kind of fella. Um, if anyone's listening, but um, yeah, I remember being absolutely delighted because he'd obviously he scored in the first game. He got two in this, so he that put him in the uh, driving seat there. And I remember drinking vodka and orange by the bottle. And when he scored the second goal, and <laughs> he scored scored the second goal, knocking a bottle of vodka and orange juice all over the carpet in celebration. Um, that's my abiding memory of it. Really, uh, just goes to show the the kind of summer it was for me. No no stories of jumping off shed roofs or. Or anything that crazy, just knocking over a bottle of orange juice and uh, what a laced rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised you haven't got any tales of uh, of, of mishaps this night, Joe. I thought you all that happened. Well, a... what did happen? What I just remembered is we we when England went three 0 up, we started sort of dancing around the house and then went dancing in the street. And then Natalie, my half Dutch friend, promptly locked the door behind us. We were stuck on the street for ten minutes. We thought you'd let us back in to watch the rest of us, and we were only sort of. 19, 20 or something, then we absolutely, you know, like I, I didn't have the uh, tact and diplomacy that perhaps I would have now. And, you know, I was totally in her face and sort of jumping <laughs> down and doing that English thing of getting completely involved with it and claiming we're going to win the whole thing. And football's it, did, it, did, it did grab everyone that game, didn't it? I just seem to remember, I was watching it with a group of mates and I'm not, I think I've said this before, I'm not, I'm not your biggest England fan. I'm not anti-England or I don't really, I'm not, you know, I just, it's never been, a huge part of my life, but I remember this game probably because I thought I was going to win eighty quid. But um, I remember being I remember being really sort of swept away with it, and actually all bundling on top of each other and jumping around, which is not normally what I do with England games. But I um, think because what has happened is I think Holland were seen as being absolutely world class. They had that team that had won it in nineteen eighty eight, and there was still bits and bobs of that team in Brooks the next generation. I think. Ajax had just won the European Cup. Was that the was that the year that they beat Juventus in the final? Was that ninety six? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and call. then and then yeah, because then Juventus won it the year after, and we got Ravinelli. Yeah, that's how I know. 
Um, There's your barreling so I, people. Yeah, so Ajax were absolutely, um, you know, Ajax were the European champions. Holland had been European champions not that far before. And I think for us, after not qualifying for USA 94, I think that was like, all right, we're back. We might do something here. We might just get this. And, yeah. And, and also, it, it was probably the most glorious. I mean, because if you think back to the World Cup of 90, obviously England did well, got to the semi finals. But it was quite workmanlike, wasn't it? All the all the victories were sort of hard fought, last you know, minutes, hard yeah. fought, last minute penalties. Um, this was the first, even you know, I'm going to break the rules and go back to Mexico '86. I mean, I suppose you had the Paraguay game, the three nil. But when England, whenever England progressed, they never seemed to blow teams out out of the water. They seemed to get through by hook or by by crook. Whereas this was the first game, really, I, and probably the only game I can remember England in a tournament actually battering somebody convincingly you know um, and I think that's what grabbed the attention of everybody was it wasn't a, a scabby victory or a, a penalty or an extra time win or a nail biter it was absolutely it was a it was a proper trouncing so uh, I think that's why everyone just suddenly got carried away with it mm. no I, I remember getting carried away with it for sure I thought we were going to win it I was sure that Holland team it is a real mix because you say it does have the you know the likes of Van der Sar and the De Boers Seedorf but it does have some sort of Premier League kind of... Do you remember these kind of guys? Like Richard Weistage, you went to Blackburn. Peter Hoekstra, who eventually ended up at Stoke City. And um, Jordi Cruyff, of course, of um, Man United fame, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mix. I mean, it, it wasn't quite the 88 team, but it still had some superstars. Obviously, Dennis Bergkamp was the one, and Patrick Clive. Clive was yeah, there, yeah. Who scored that goal, who obviously knocked out Scotland as well. Um, and then, so we went on from that impressive victory. Obviously, we went through the goal. Shearer, a penalty... Uh, that goal, as I mentioned at the start, um, Sheringham then got to a header and then a rebound off a Darren Anderton <coughs> shot to to round off the night. Three goals in 11 minutes in the second half that did it. And then on the 22nd of June, 1996, a completely different kind of game because it was a game where I think everyone would be honest that England got very, very lucky in. Um, they played a Spain team who uh, are still in that stage of being underachievers. Um, the likes of uh, Fernando Hierro and Sergi and Kiko were part of that team. Nil-nil draw at Wembley got very lucky and then a penalty shootout but on the day Joel England weren't the best team were they I just I have very little memories of the game I remember watching it and, and mm. obviously the penalties are the things that everybody sort of remembers for it but you know England should have gone out Spain had a perfectly reasonable goal yeah. disallowed um, and England weren't good that day it was sort of nervy twitchy it was like the pressure had got to them Spain were a very good side and were tipped tipped to win it and Spain were really 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 unlucky that day but I suppose when you're playing it it's a look you know as, as we've seen in the history it was a moribund game that's the, that's the word for it moribund it was just boring the overriding images of course uh, Pierce shoot Pierce yeah, I mean, the, um, as goes England penalty shootouts go, um, we always seem to, you know, hark back to the ones that went quite wrong for us, usually against Germany, but obviously the Portugal one, the Argentina ones. Uh, but this one, Matthew, I mean, it's probably the best England penalty shootout of all time. Not only do you have four excellent penalties, including one from David Platt, who people seem to forget at Euro 96 was a vital clog in that team. He started this game as well, but the redemption. I mean, is there any better seen image from the 90s than Stuart Pearce? So that was, that's just, it brings hair to the back of my neck. How about you? Yeah, it does. And I, going back to the start, I mean, it's, it's, I'm glad that uh, Joel said he didn't remember this game, actually, because I was thinking about this game earlier on and I 
in my head I was I was describing it as the forgotten game yeah, of uh, is, yeah. Euro '96, and that, that's proven by the fact that Joel doesn't remember it. Maybe because he was pissed because it was a it was a Saturday not that Saturday saying, game. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, not, Saturday. Not making a not three making o'clock assumptions game, yeah. About, but yeah, it was a Saturday afternoon game. But it was it was one of those classic England tournament games where they weren't very good and probably should have got beaten. And uh, although. In my head, I seem to remember Spain absolutely playing England off the park. They had two goals disallowed. They had a, at least one good penalty shout turned down, which uh, went their way. But when I watched it back earlier for research purposes, um, I forgot that England actually had some really good chances, chances to win it themselves. Yeah. Shearer had a great opportunity. He was The ball came over and he, he was basically under the crossbar and volleyed it over. Um, I think Spain were the more controlling team and looked better had more possession had more passing all that kind of but in, in, like I said in my head I thought I remember coming away from that game thinking oh England were lucky there they should have they should have been battered but England actually had quite a few good opportunities but I think it was obviously the uh, offside goal that was proven to be a, a, a good goal would today be given as a good goal um, but yeah but then I suppose you ride your luck don't you that's happened plenty of times that's gone against England and plenty of times they've ridden their luck Belgium in 90, I remember Belgium hitting the post mm. and all kinds. So it was another one of those games, but this time went, went England's way. But um, yeah, Stuart Pearce, the classic. Uh, he probably didn't know he was doing it at the time. It was probably pure emotion that um, just completely overwhelmed him. But I mean, if there was ever an iconic image, it was it was that one, wasn't it? But, yeah, it's certainly uh, up there. It's certainly up there with uh, one of the big iconic images of the 90s. That um, The penalties you mentioned, Alfonso. Um, he got booked for it, actually it was, as a dive. Yeah, he got booked for diving, yeah, yeah which I was, it's funny watching back because I don't really remember them making a, a thing of booking players for simulation back then. I thought it was a relatively new new venture, but um, the referee did book him for diving. But if you look at it, it looks as good a penalty as, mm. I mean, it, it was contact, it was, a, it, was a, it was a stupid tackle, really. I mean, it was a, it was a penalty all day long. Mm. Big um, Ron called they, it the luckiest free kick England Luckiest free kick England will ever get, yeah. <laughs> um, which, uh, I don't know whether that's ever been proven or not, yeah. but... Um, but it, it looks like if I don't know if you did watch it back, but it was a much better game than I seem to remember at the time. There was a lot more; uh, it was much more end to end. But it's funny how the mind plays tricks, and he's probably after a couple of bottles of vodka and orange. Yeah, no, but, it, was, uh, it wasn't much. But you mentioned that Hierro hit the bar as well. I remember that. Yeah, um, he was one of the guys that missed the penalties because he hit the bar on that occasion as well. Before um, Nadal, the great big defender at the back, Magnus Nadal, uh, Seaman saved a um, really good save from David Seaman as well. Um, to put England through my abiding memory of this and I think I spoke about this when we did our Euro 96 pods as well is that so I went so it was a three o'clock kickoff as we mentioned and then after the game uh, my dad treated us to a to a McDonald's yes that's how classy we were in 1996 um, so we drove down to the high street at the time which was my local high street Welling in south east London stroke Kent can did we go past yeah newspaper shop uh, we wouldn't have gone past Burt's we would have gone past Frank's because that was on the way down to Swingate Lane this is this is Frank. This is Frank that uh, Joel confused with Frank Lampard last night when I mentioned Frank in <laughs> yeah. yeah. Such such was his uh, celebration. How, how dare he? There's only one Franks in our life, let's be honest. Um, where was I? Oh, there used to be two pubs on each corner in Welling High Street. One of them is now Tesco's, but at the time it was called The Moon and Sixpence. And there's one opposite called The Plough. Never got on. Rivalry. There used to be fights week in, week out between these two pubs. But that day, the streets of Welling were lined up, singing Football's Coming Home. Each pub, they were in unison. I was driving down. Well, my dad was driving. I was sitting in the passenger seat. I went out the sunroof. England flag flying and it was just one of those moments that's kind of summed up 
Euro 96 of the country just went, just came together because of that England team because of the feeling in that country yeah. um, so it's just that always sticks out for me that kind had, of had England lost those two Oh, I've been at carnage. Probably come yeah, together and turned over any yeah. see it, Carly. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely carnage. Yeah. Probably was come yeah. Germany. No, I didn't go down there after yeah. that. So <laughs> when we talk about that, I can tell another story that isn't quite as uh, glamorous as that one. Um, what, oh, what I didn't know about this game as well, that Nick Barnby, Steve Stone and Robbie Fowler all came on. You'd think to forget they were in the squad. You always remember the big names, but they all came I on. I didn't forget Nick Barnby. Well, of course. Was he a Borough at the time? Was he a Borough player then? He was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just. Um, I, think just about, I think he just signed. Yeah, yeah. So he came on during extra time, but no great memories. I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, the next game, the Germany game next week um, on uh, this week in the nineties. But we're going to leave Euro '96 behind and go further back in time. And this is one for our Irish listeners, if there are any. I'm sure there are. Uh, we're talking USA '94, as you mentioned at the top of the show. Matthew's favourite World Cup of the nineties and mine, known secret there. Um, it was. June 18th, 1994, the opening game of uh, for Ireland in America, who kind of became the team we all sort of followed at USA 94, because of course England weren't there. Um, they came against the might of Italy, Roberto Baggio and all, and beat them 1-0 with roly-poly Ray Houghton, um, and actually could have beaten them further watching this game today. Uh, Matthew, coming to you first, uh, what do you remember about this, this moment and this game and this big iconic goal from Ray Houghton? Well, I didn't remember much of it, so I delved into my World Cup diary from 1994. <laughs> oh, see, now, I'll stop you there. Now, Matthew put this on our, it's our, well, no, was it on our Twitter feed? That was on our little Twitter chat, wasn't it? You'd found some yeah. diaries from your uh, from this era where you used to write, not only did he used to detail the games from 94 and 98, the weather is on there, his yeah. personal life, what, the top 10 on occasion. So do tell us, let's have some... What happened What happened on Neighbours? Well, I've, I've, I've got it here in front of me. Let okay, me well, we, need into, a, we need a jingle at some point, but this is Matthew's diary from 1994. Uh, we'll get a jingle at some point. So tell us, I'll take put, us back. I'll, I'll put it in a bit of context. I've never been a diary keeper, ever. Uh, I never liked the idea. I've always thought it would come back and haunt you and picture of Dorian Gray and all that kind of thing. But uh, for World Cup 90, for some reason... I just started a World Cup diary, just made little notes of uh, games and I gave them a little star rating and I cut out any any uh, newspaper clips. There was some uh, plenty of betting slips in there as well, which for a 13-year-old th- lad wasn't bad going. Um, pound here and a pound there. <clears throat> so when USA 94 came around, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll do it again. And I got myself a little hardback notepad. But by this stage, I started to... Go into a little bit more detail. I'd, uh, I'd give. Did your gambling bit. problem increase? <laughs> well, it's uh, the, the funny thing is, if you, when we go through the 1990 diary, it's all just came home from school, watched the game, good game, should have been more goals, went to bed, came home from school. But when it gets to 94, it very much it mentions how much I paid to get into clubs, how much I had to drink, where I was, <laughs> how much I bets I put on, where I spent the day in the bookies or the pub. That kind of thing. So, 94, if it, these ever get serialised in the papers, 94 would be the one that's a lot more interesting than 1990. Um, so here we go then. Matthew's diaries. So, so, so June, uh, Saturday, was it Saturday, June 18th? Actually, I don't know. I've only got June 18th here. Yeah. June 18th, yeah. June 18th. Uh, USA won, Switzerland won. This was the game. At, uh, there was an early game, wasn't there? So, that was that one. So that it's uh, Ireland, Italy. Ireland deserved to win due to more goals and chances. Extra million people jump on the bandwagon after this win. <laughs> Ireland, <laughs> Ireland could have had more. And that sums up, I, I, I didn't like the fact that everyone, do you remember everyone was yeah. 
um, suddenly became Irish and all that. And I've, I've never liked that. Being, I've still got friends who still say they are. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not anti-Irish, but it's just like, if you know how to get knocked out of the FA Cup, you don't just go, oh, I'm going to support Arsenal now. Yeah. But I've never liked that. And I remember this World Cup, obviously there was there was no English participation, but the BBC particularly really went down that route of, you know, going with, with the Irish. Thing. And I just found it really patronising. If I was Irish, I'd think, sod it off, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's nothing to do with you. So, uh, so it, it, the, the probably there's more entries in this diary that probably go on about me disliking that whole sort of Irish thing. But... Again, not an anti-Irish thing. I lived in Dublin for a while, and it was never, you know, it's never been an issue. But just in terms of football, but uh, so then I've got weather. Another warm day, quite breezy, <laughs> twenty-one degrees. I moved some furniture. Uh, helps out moving some furniture. Watch the Ireland Italy game at Pools, sitting with a crowd of makeshift Irishmen. There you go. Another uh, in the news. This is quite topical. South and North Korea agree a meeting over recent troubles. Oh. Okay. oh. oh. TV this week. Now, I haven't read this. I'm reading this off the cuff. So, TV this week. Percy breaks his engagement with Maud. Oh. I assume that's, I assume that's, that's Percy. Corey. Maud, yes, Corey. But that's yeah. Maud, that would be Maud, is she called Maud Grimes? On oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good, good Corey knowledge, Joe. And yeah. the street finds out about Denise's pregnancy. Denise uh, was that? Denise was the, she was Ken with Barlow. Ken Barlow. Yeah. Ken Barlow yeah. yeah. She came back, didn't she, last year? Because that's Daniel, who's now yeah. in it. Yes, of course. That's his. Yeah. That was his mum, wasn't that's it? His mum, yeah. So she, he is now. Oh, here we go. A character in it. So yeah, come and, on, uh, 2018. And neighbours. Oh, like oh, no, right, neighbours. Yeah, this is there. Look, there looks. No, there looks no chance of Philip and Julie patching things oh, up and getting, no. back, and getting Julie back together. Julie Martin. Yeah. yeah. Phil the, Martin. Uh, also, Doug sells Willis Construction. That's that was heartbreaking. What's the best? Uh, I uncovered the episode with neighbours just going on a total, a total one. But can you remember the one where um, Jim and Doug Willis go into the bush and have acid? <laughs> no. I'm not lying. Are you, are you sure not... it was Jim and uh, Doug that was having the acid? <laughs> Jim and... I swear... I, right, I'm going to post this on my Twitter. It's one of the funniest things. We go into the outback and they have something. They have something to eat and then they pick up some mushrooms. It's mushrooms, actually. And they go and pick up some mushrooms and they cook them and it turns out that they're magic mushrooms and like the rest of the episode is just those two just tripping the nuts off wandering about laughing like off the heads it's really funny then they just come home and everything's fine and like you know like since soap operas if you do something like that then everything's got to go super yeah, bad of course. afterwards you know, you've yeah. got to be addicted just to do this it's good fun to come home it's, I'm going to find the clip now and post it on my Twitter because it's very funny yeah, it's very funny so, so Matthew I'm guessing from your diaries and we'll get to know you a bit more from this as it becomes a weekly feature you weren't a home and away <laughs> fan you were more of a neighbours and Corrie no I'm just going to flick through I won't give any more secrets away but I'm just going to look through and see if I've mentioned any more television but no it's mostly Coronation Street yeah Coronation Street is a, I tell you what Monday the 20th of June there's a lot of can we uh, will we be breaking the rules of oh, how much this week in the 90s June? it's this week in the 90s uh, in the news hang on a minute uh, there you go this is this is my day this is my day Monday 20th of June after sleeping for just four and a half hours last night I felt very tired this morning Luckily, there was no work for me to do, so I had the rest of the day off. Went to the betting shop, <laughs> put one pound on one pound on Russia to beat Brazil, and I've got that betting slip here. Four to one, Russia were to beat Brazil. That seems sure a bit, that's Very terrible sure, odds. Yeah. That uh, my brother went out in Maidenhead. There you go. So that was, was the twentieth of June. It's all happening. Yeah, uh, in the news, Jerry Adams calls for no retaliation after some recent pub shootings. Police are given the go-ahead to use side-handled hand, side batons. 
Uh, Wimbledon, <laughs> Wimbledon 94 begins. The second test between England and New Zealand ends in a draw. Uh, oh. Coronation, Coronation Street, Curly and Andy are fed up with Steve's lazy attitude. <laughs> Vera is angry when she sees the newspaper article about Jack's past. Oh, what was that one Ooh. about? Reese is not sure she wants to go to Blackpool with Sally and Kevin. Well, why would you? I assume that's because, well, she because she lost Alan Bradley at Blackpool, didn't she? She did. Hit by well, a tram, he got hit by a tram, yeah. So there you go. So that was the 20th of June. I won't, won't read anymore because otherwise yeah. it, yeah. we're going to spoil. We could do a whole special episode on this. Geez. Well, we're going to do it. It's going to be a weekly feature. So yeah, we, we yeah. want to know what's going on. So, Sally, Kevin, and Rita, who are still in it now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and Steve, oh, yeah. and Steve McDonald, and Steve yeah. McDonald, yeah, yeah. I've just posted the the clip of them off their barnets on. Okay, well, watch it. <laughs> I'll watch so it. you know, just so you know, it's, it's ready yeah. there and watching. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. cool. I think we were talking about Ireland, Joel. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Do you remember this game? The, um, yeah, Ray Houghton, eleventh minute, and obviously the one. The player who absolutely snuffed everything out that was going on was uh, Uar Paul McGrath. Yeah, he had a great game, didn't he? Oh, outstanding. I mean, it was... And, and this is the famous boiling hot game, isn't it, where everybody's dying as they do yeah. it. We mentioned it last week about uh, what Maradona said about it, which surprised me. But, um, you know, he was... If you think... At the other end of the pitch, I think Franco Baresi was there, wasn't he? And yeah. um, Tassotti played. And... Um, you know, and 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 the Irish had McGrath, and then they were looking. He was kind of looking after Phil Bab that day, and um, and Dennis Irwin as well. So I mean, that that was just it was one of them that nobody expected to win. And obviously, it was at Giant Stadium, wasn't it? Seventy-five thousand, so yeah. Yeah, you've got massive. Obviously, in New York, you've got enormous Irish populations or wannabe Irish populations. New Jersey, technically. Yeah, oh, is it New Jersey? Yeah, Sorry, East Rutherford, yeah. Um, that's SummerSlam '89 was there, I think. I think it there was. You yeah. go. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you've got this huge Irish population, this huge Italian population, and um, so it was always going to be sort of a passionate, fiery game. And, and, and you can imagine that the Irish parts of, uh, let's say, Northeast America, uh, <laughs> were absolutely thrilled to bits and bouncing. I bet from that was the one that probably grabbed the attention of the Americans more than anything, more than any other game you can imagine. Mm. No, it was a good game. And Paul, um, what's his name? I forgot his first name. Sheridan. What's Mark's, What's his first name? John. John, John Sheridan. I'm thinking of Mark Sheridan. Whoever that is, somebody from my past. John Sheridan hit the bar in that game as well, as well as Paul McGrath. I saw them talking about it. I found some random clip on YouTube of must have been part of a TV show on RTE, but it was going back to them about five years later. And Paul McGrath, it was, his voice is so much softer than you ever think it's going to be, but they were talking about that game and, and much of an iconic uh, goal that is and of course Ray Houghton's roly-poly um, it didn't turn out too well a few days later though June 24th 1994 um, this is Mexico 2 Ireland 1 and the game's not really remembered for the 2-1 defeat um, Garcia with the two goals it's more remembered now I completely got this twisted in my head over time the kind of massive spat on the sidelines that John Aldridge has with the th- third and fourth officials I always thought in my mind it was actually it was over the heat and because it was so hot over there but actually I've completely forgot about this it was about a substitution and the fact they wouldn't let 
uh, John Aldridge on the pitch, despite the fact that they'd already taken somebody off. And John Aldridge loses his rag using, uh, I think he calls the um, the fourth official a twat and a dickhead. Using, uh, <laughs> and, a, and an effing cheat. And an effing cheat, yeah. He went he went up in the yeah. scale of, uh, of of insults there. But yeah, I, forgot, I don't know about it. Matthew, I don't know if that... You'd got that twisted, but yeah, I mean, it's quite a little paddy phrase, isn't it? No, it's a classic no, no clip. Pun intended. It, it's a classic clip, and one that people are very fond of up here in uh, Liverpool, obviously. And whenever Aldridge is mentioned, we were, I was actually watching it a few weeks ago with a couple of mates, and we were having absolutely killing ourselves laughing because it's so funny. You get so angry, and it's a guy in a in a terrible yellow sort of Which almost 80s looking legends, yeah yeah the, the gentleman in the yellow cap a real jobs worth and then Jack Charlton starts coming in and pointing an imaginary a finger at an imaginary bit of paper and uh, and as Aldridge runs on the pitch he's still remonstrating with the guy he runs off he's still, <laughs> he's still looking over his shoulder uh, yelling abuse and then fair enough to he, he runs on and basically scores straight away doesn't he was that angry he, um, mm. he takes his anger out on, on on Mexico, I've just actually leafed through a few pages in the diary. Actually, oh, Friday, 24th, oh. Friday, Friday, twenty fourth of June, Mexico two, Ireland one, live on ITV at five thirty p.m. I've given this three stars out of five. This oh, game, that's, not oh, that's bad. good. Yeah, that's not, not bad. a vintage, not a vintage performance by Mexico, but I thought they totally dominated the game and could have won by more. Two good goals from Mexico, and then at twen- at nine o'clock that night, night you had Brazil three, Cameroon nil. Two yeah. star performance on my. Uh, and then, game, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, another poor game I've put put down here. And then that night at midnight thirty, you had Sweden th- three, Russia one, three star game. Um, and uh, oh, and hang on, looking at this, this game was particularly good because Sweden's win ensured I won twenty three pounds after putting <laughs> yes, after putting two pounds on Mexico, Brazil, and Sweden. So I had a treble up. You had a oh, treble that was up. A good day. I had a treble. I don't remember that. What, you had like what eleven. Uh, Two pound treble, yeah, and that's that's funny. That well, Brazil would have been dead, dead certs, I suppose Sweden would have done that. Maybe Mexico wouldn't have been. Yeah, two pound got me twenty three quid back. It was a very hot and sunny day, but then there were big thunderstorms and heavy rain. Twenty seven degrees. Well, this, can, this can happen, you see, when it's very yeah, humid. Very humid. Yeah. Twenty seven. That's quite uh, high. Yeah. In the news, sadly, a teenage girl is killed after being struck by lightning. Ooh, well, there you go. Sad, that's sadly. the that's the uh, message of. Yeah, be careful in those hot yeah. days because there could be a thunderstorm. Don't, don't stand under a tree with a bit of corrugated steel to yeah. protect yourself. Or, or jump on a shed with a corrugated iron roof. Yeah, definitely don't do yeah. that. But more uh, importantly, cor- yeah, what happened in Cor- Coronation Street. I haven't got any neighbours <laughs> here. I've only got, oh. Partly because I've run out of room on the sheet because I've written all my bets down. But uh, Coronation Street. <laughs> Steve's still trying to make up with Jim after they had a fight. Well, anyone that's ever watched Coronation that's, Street knows they've, those, they've always been fighting. That's, that's father and yeah. son. Yeah. Alex, who is having an affair with Tanya has left his wife to move in with Tony, even though she's having an affair with Des. Oh. Des Barnes. No, I'm not Machine. Des Barnes. He's from, he's from Hartlepool, I think. Yeah, I'm not yeah. Tanya. Well, I don't remember Alex. having the affair with Tanya. Alex? Yeah. Who's Alex? Uh, I don't remember an Alex. A... Oh, I thought you meant Alex Gilroy. I was like, because I remember that Tanya. She was very good-looking. She was very yeah, hot for the time. Yeah. She was a barmaid, yeah, so, wasn't she, in the Rovers? Yeah, yeah so Alex, very nice. So whoever, whoever Alex is, who's having an affair with this Tanya, and then... He's left his wife, and then yeah, it's all right. Old, uh, what is, what's happened to Coronation Street? Eh? It doesn't. It's not as it's, yeah. I don't know. I was it used to be it so earlier. entertaining. Oh, I don't know. Eva and Aiden and all, all what's going on there. You know, uh, I was watching it earlier. No, it's, it's big, not the, not the same as it was in '94. I tell you, uh, we're big Cory fans in this house. Um, that's finished on Ireland, Mexico. Um, <laughs> 
uh, Jack Charlton said that they played very well. They played very quickly, very fast. They worked very hard, very much the way we play when we play in England and Europe. Unfortunately, we weren't playing in Europe today. We were playing in 100-degree temperature somewhere down in South America, and it wasn't easy for us, but except we lost the game. We'll play in next time in winter, and we'll see how it works out. Uh, Joel, do you think I mean, a lot of it was blamed on that? Yeah, He got banned for that. Terrible, because that's like FIFA being overzealous again, isn't it? You know, we are right. We are always right. You know, question us and you will be punished. And he in for the did they play Norway in the last group match? Yeah. I think they were in the group as well, weren't they? And um, you know, he wasn't there, which is you know, just ridiculous. Did he, he, got touch, he got a touch like yeah, that. He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't there for those for the last one. Well, he wasn't on the, he wasn't in the thing, yeah, touch line. So yeah, just um you know, it was the thing that we were just re- gonna think was gonna happen all along and you can you can say what you want, but the Mexicans were always going to have an advantage in those conditions. And playing games at those times was just... Mm, well, we'll find, we'll find out in 2026, won't we? Yeah, yeah, we will. When, when we're doing this podcast, we're still talking about this week in the 90s, even though we're maybe I'll, maybe I'll start my uh, I'll start my diary back up. I think, I, I think I'll, be, I'll have to go some to be drinking and betting as much as I was in 1994, <laughs> so be reading this back. I'm proud it's, of you. It's great. I don't know if you'd survive in, in 2018. <laughs> uh, no, well, yeah, if I carried on the way I was going there, yeah, I, would, I, wouldn't, be around, I wouldn't be around to read the diary. Uh, anyway, Ireland did progress to the next round, but lost 2-0 to Holland at USA 94, and that was their, their journey over with. And John Aldridge has later said that he was quite embarrassed about his behaviour, but he shouldn't be embarrassed about the kit that Ireland were wearing. One of my favourites of the tournament as well. I don't get talked about a lot. They had the kind of fadey effect to the away kit. Very nice. Ireland awake it. Um, our final thing on this week in the 90s, we're actually going to go outside of the international bubble just for a, a few minutes or so and talk about the arrival of one of the most important players in Premier League history. Somebody that I've said here on many times, I think is the best import the Premier League has ever seen. Um, this day, actually, um, the 19th of June in 1995, it was the arrival of Dennis Burkamp to the Premier League and to Arsenal. He was signed by Bruce Rioc, his first signing for £7.5 million, a Len record fee for Arsenal. Um, Joe, he made his debut against Middlesbrough. He did, in a one-all draw. Now, do you remember much of the game or much of Burkham? Yeah, it was. Yes, it was on Sky on a Sunday afternoon, and we took the lead, in fact, with the aforementioned Nick Barnby. Um, I think this is the, the the correct game, isn't it? Yeah, because it was most of the thing beforehand was about the fact that it was Bruce Regock and, and Middlesbrough again. Because obviously he'd managed us, and then he'd, he'd gone to Bolton, and and then you know he was seen as a peculiar manager at, at the time. But it's it's one of those facts that everybody tries to spring on people that you know. It, oh, I bet you don't remember that Bruce Regock was the man who signed Dennis Bergkamp, and obviously everybody, everybody remembers that yeah. because it's one of those wacky facts that everyone thinks nobody else knows. Very peculiar, but yeah, we took the lead. Um, Barnby scored for us, and then um, and then Ian Wright equalised. I think not long afterwards. The thing about Bergkamp at the start, I think, is that it did take him a little while to get mm. right. He'd come from Inter Milan, hadn't he? And, and yeah. he hadn't had a good time in Italy, uh, and and things were happening like you know that sort of traditional wacky thing of playing being played out on the wing and, and all the rest of it. And so it took him a a little while to get used to the Premier League and he was getting called how much was he was he 8.5 or 7.5 7.5 yeah. Yeah. yeah and he and he was you know he was getting the criticism and he's a flop and he's not worth the money and he's not the player you know he's not the player that he was at Ajax etc 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 and uh, you know obviously he proved all those critics wrong 
Yeah, he did. One of those critics was early on. There's a famous newspaper cutting. I don't know if you've guys have seen this before from Stuart Pearce, who, who calls him a complete waste of money and he'll never make it in the Premier League. Now, I love Stuart Pearce and we've talked about him already on that iconic moment, but uh, that says it all about his perception of players. Maybe why he didn't make it as a manager, but yeah, he didn't. I mean... <laughs> Matthew, upon his arrival, what did you make of it? I mean, it was such a massive name, despite, as Joel says, he wasn't having the best of time in Italy, but it really was one of the catalysts. Him and Klinsmann, I always think, those two big names coming to the Premier League. Is that how you see it? Yeah, well, I'm glad you actually said that you think he's the most uh, influential foreign import Mm. to come into the Premier League because tomorrow I've got a piece going in the Sportsman called Dennis Bergkamp, the most influential foreigner (laughs) to come to the Premier League. So we must have, uh, you know... Must have read each other's mind there. But I think you can make a case. I mean, obviously, Cantona, personally, made a big difference. Um, but uh, I know Cantona made sort of, a, sort of an impact on a, on a pretty good team that was already there. Bergkamp sort of, it wasn't just his style of play. It was as a, as a player and as a professional, he just seemed to change um, the mindset, of, of certainly of Arsenal, and then of a lot of teams that then followed. And obviously, like you say, he did have the likes of Klinsman and, and a few other uh, the guys at Chelsea that came in. But um, in terms of one player that sort of captures the imagination of one team and one set of supporters, I think you'd be hard pushed to uh, to beat Burkamp on that. I mean, personally, it didn't make a heck of a lot of difference to me because, as you can tell, I was probably out in the bookies or in the <laughs> pub. But, but, um, but um, yeah, I think it's one of those things that you look back on in hindsight. I mean, when players come in, you don't really notice what's happening the time but then you look back like we are now at his impact 20 odd years on and you do think yeah it was a it was a different world I mean when he came in apparently he was shocked at the facilities at Arsenal he was shocked Mm. at the drinking culture he was shocked because Arsenal didn't really have their own training ground they used to uh, share at uh, University College London so I think a lot of a lot of what he saw he maybe commented on and and tried to influence and then obviously Arsene Wenger came along 12 months later and they sort of uh, worked off each other and completely transform Arsenal because you've got to remember that Arsenal a lot of even in the early 90s were looked upon as pretty boring yeah, dull and I mean, even though it, as well. yeah I mean even though they were quite successful under George Graham I mean I mean, they won two leagues in three seasons but the, the years after that they did have that sort of sort of hard man image didn't they of, of sort of lumping up front and the two big men at the back and Alan Smith and all that kind of thing so for Bergkamp to go to somebody like Arsenal and make such a big difference, it's probably more noticeable than if he'd gone to, say, Liverpool or United or somebody like that that was maybe a bit more uh, tuned into that that style of football. So, uh, but no, I, all, all credit to the guy. I've got nothing, nothing but good things to say about him. Really, I think he was a. A true pro. Yeah, I mean, no, I always say, uh, yeah, most influential in the Premier League. That season was 33 games, 11 goals. Um, it took him six games in, into his uh, Arsenal career, a, a brace against Southampton. But, but Joe, I'd argue that, I mean, a lot was made of that, but he was never going to be, and he's never was, a 20-goal-a-season striker. Dennis Bergkamp was, if you like, the original sort of number 10 type well, striker, wasn't he? Well, I think that originally, you know, Ajax, I think he was uh, top scorer in the Dutch League for... I think three seasons in a row and but he said that you know at Ajax it was a different he, he was playing more as an out and out striker and, and he knew that playing at a club that dominates the league like Ajax do that you would get sort of four or five chances a, a game and, and, and probably playing in Italian football you'd get one um, so then when he when he came here he, he certainly as Wenger kind of 
did with, you know, notably Thierry Henry, but, you know, slightly shifting them, playing to their strengths. And obviously, Arsenal reaped the uh, rewards for that. And, and you remember when he went there, he did. they did have an out-and-out, absolutely brilliant striker in Ian Wright. So it was it was better to have the two of them performing like that, Burkamp and, and Wright together, with just with Burkamp in a classic number 10 dropping off. But um, outstanding stuff. And, you know, as, as you've both just said there, helped was was not the total catalyst because obviously Wenger was an enormous part of the way that Arsenal changed and progressed but he was certainly a bridge that helped get them from those old days of you know lumping it up with you know a bit of Merson but mostly you know those sort of um, lumpy sort of players I can't think of the right adjective to describe them but to get them cumbersome cumbersome there you go the free-flowing Arsenal that happened, you know, in the late 90s, in the early uh, 2000s. So, yeah. No, if me, he's, he's up there with the best. Let's, let's finish on a favourite Burkamp moment then. Matthew, you've done an article on him. Pick out your favourite Dennis Burkamp moment from uh, his, his time at Arsenal in the 90s. Oh, you put me on the spot oh. there. Um, I, I suppose you'd have to say... That goal, <laughs> goal at Newcastle, <laughs> yeah, which is slightly yeah, like in the next decade, but I'll let you have that. Yeah, I mean the the, the goal at Leicester didn't he? He scored three at that way yeah. at Leicester, was he? Yeah, it's, um, it's the hat trick at Rovers in the double season. The third was it the third and final goal that he sort of uh, drags down and then tucks it in the corner, almost in a similar fashion to the one he got in uh, World Cup '98, wasn't it? That apparently that wasn't very good. Sashin, <laughs> Sashin. <laughs> Dear, oh dear. There was a goal he scored as well. I think it was a hybrid against Spurs where he catches it on his chest and he's on right on the um, left angle of the box and it looks like an impossible uh, place to score, but somehow he squeezes it in to the bottom corner and then slides on his knees. Now, I'm, I'm no Arsenal fan, but you know that in a derby, that goal always feels better. Um, that's a memory for me. He also scored at Loftus Road. Uh, Loftus Road on, I think it was the first season, actually. Kevin Gallon scored early on. Um, yeah, it would have been because we were relegated that season. Um, and then he equalised, and that was a decent goal as well. I remember seeing that at the time and thinking, wow, uh, what a player, Dennis Burkamp. Joe, I mean, you mentioned the Newcastle goal. I mean, I know that was 2000, but that is, I don't think I've ever seen a goal like that. No, it's it's just wonderful. I mean, we were we were on the end of quite some mornings against Arsenal in uh, in the late 90s. There was a, there was a 6-1, I think, in the FA Cup at our place. Um and he, he was just the fulcrum. He was the one that tied it all together. And, and you know, and it was just, you know, I don't think how long was he there in the end, 11 years. Yeah. I, I don't think he would have ever expected to stay there for 11 years. Uh, I, I think he probably, you know, going there, it was, it was probably a bit of a risk on, on both sides. But then look how it paid off. I wonder if he saw it as a stepping stone at the time, thinking if I get to the Premier League, re-establish myself after, you know, a difficult time yeah. at Inter and then move on to, because as you say, Arsenal weren't, you know, a title-winning club at that point, but he... probably like a top six side. Yeah, yeah. And, and and also the Premier League wasn't really as established as no. it. You know, a lot of these players were look, seen as coming over here, sort of looking for a quick buck or a pension. Well, we were getting people pop. like you know, like Ruud Hullet came over. I think he was what thirty-four or something when he came. So we were getting these Klinsman was uh, late twenties, early thirties. Yeah, I mean, his big move there would have been from Ajax to Inter, wouldn't it? In terms of. Um, Hierarchy of club, so yeah, yeah. To, to go from Serie A to Premier League would have probably seen as a, be seen as a step down. So whereas now it would be completely the other way around. But you've got to remember then in '95, as much as you did have a few more uh, foreign imports coming in, it wasn't in the sort of same vein that they are now. It was more a sort of a, it was almost on the downward 
trajectory of the, the career, wasn't it? Either people at the end of the career or people who failed in a supposedly bigger league or a, a, yeah. a club than we could than the, the English league would offer them. Yeah, I think that's something that you've got, you've got to put in, into context because a, a, a transfer like that now really wouldn't wouldn't really make it would obviously make headlines, but it wouldn't be as, as much as a shock as it was then because then it just it was a it was going against the grain for a mm. top top international player to make that transfer. Like you say, even Cantona coming to United in hindsight, it was it was fantastic, but he was that was a last chance saloon for him really because of the troubles he'd had, and there were plenty of other players like that at the time that were making the exact same move that didn't necessarily. Uh, Work out for the best. Mm. He was. 20, this could have been. He was twenty six at the time, so you know you, that's like a peak sort of footballer at the time, isn't it? So that, it was a big move for him. Um, and then he looked around and saw Glenn Helder sitting next to him, who played twenty four times that season, who, and I never realised he played so many games for Arsenal. Glenn Helder. There's a nineties footballer. Your time. It was a huge. Um, sorry, the, Arsenal's previous record for this before this was two point yeah. five million for Ian Wright, mm. and this was then went to seven point five million. I mean, that's a heck of a. Heck of a jump, isn't it? I mean, I know it says a lot about the Arsenal uh, sort of transfer policy at the time, but I mean, to you know, pretty much treble your your transfer record is a is a big old uh, big old statement of intent, but one that paid off ultimately, didn't it? Uh, for the next ten years or so. I was talking transfer records last night after the, the game with my brother-in-law, who's uh, been on the show, um, Rob Gallagher, who's a Millwall fan, and I did, and he told me that Millwall's record transfer is still only eight hundred thousand pounds. They've never played over a million for a footballer. Oh, Who was that for? Um, Paul Goddard in 1989. No, I used to play for Derby and West Ham. West Ham, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Wow, wow, wow. In 2018, they'd never spent a million on a player. I couldn't believe that. What's, you, what's yeah. the QPR record signing? Um, Chris Chris Samba for 12 and a half million. Mm. Then we sold him for thirteen back to the same club. There's a dodgy uh, deal net, for you. Net profit. <laughs> yeah, we know. We know you, and we know United, Mister Pogba. And he, bar, yeah. you know what? Bar. Yeah, it's, oh, you, it's you'll never get Boris. Is it Alfonso Alves? Alves still? It's not Alfonso Alves anymore. No, Martin Darun. Oh my God, I don't even remember that one. <laughs> and that was well. That was last year. Well, two years ago when we were in the Premier League. Oh, 30. I think we did a poster of him in Kick Magazine actually, cause thinking he might yeah. be a, a next big thing. It's, yeah, no, you didn't do really much. That'll be a collector's yeah. item now, that yeah. yeah. I hope somebody puts it in their diary in 20 years' time. They'll be going, I just found this poster of... Uh... Somebody called Martin. Martin Duru. Duru. Yeah. Well, they're saying that. Somebody put on Twitter, one uh, uh, Jerry, Jerry Cox, one of the journalists out in Russia, uh, he, a random picture of uh, a little Russian kid getting Harry Kane's autograph. And the autograph that, that he's got it on is actually a kick poster, but it's from about two seasons ago. So I don't know if it's a bit delayed out there in Russia, but it's quite nice. I retweeted it because it was like, yeah, cool, well done, son. Nice nice taste, that little Russian lad. Um, but yeah, I was, Millwall, get out your checkbook. I couldn't believe that. 100,000, that's a bit crazy. Um, anyway, that's been this week in the 90s. We've uh, we've gone around the houses today. We've looked in Matthew's uh, diary from the past. That is going to be a new feature. We're going to get a jingle. And um, we've talked about some England songs and we've looked back at Euro 96. But if you want to follow the guys on the social, where you'll get more of all this and more. Um, Joel, where can they find you? Everything is at Joel Baby Herc. Uh, so that's lovely. And I have just posted that uh, clip. Yeah, go and look at that. Jim Robinson and Doug Willis on yeah. Mushrooms, on Neighbours, 5.35 on a weekday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Would it have been on the earlier one as well? It will have been on the yeah, uh, one, one, one forty-five. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever it been. Oh, okay. And yeah, you're still on the Crystal Maze at that moment, aren't you? I am. Yeah, it's uh, it's very busy. Richard Madeley is one of the captains next oh. week, and I've watched it, and it's it's very funny. Oh, there's a sneak peek. 
So you've gone from being on mushrooms to on the crystal maze. On the crystal maze, yeah. yeah. Very similar sort of experience. Yeah. Really. Uh, when, Bridge is, when Bridge is on this week, actually. Oh, how did Dennis Wise get on? Because that was last week, wasn't it? He was. He got locked in on one and he oh, won dear. one. Oh, that's not so bad. That's not bad. You came uh, out equal. Yes. How and um, Matthew, where can people find you? And uh, news of your Dennis Burkham inspired article. Yeah, we, I'll be uh, serialising my World Cup diaries. At, uh, <laughs> he's a regular Matthew. Michael Pale in this. Yeah. 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 At Matthew J. Christ, you can find out what bookies I've been in and uh, yeah, regular what, gambling what, tips. Go to, yeah. go to that Twitter okay. feed. I'm inspired now. I might go and put a treble on tomorrow and show you, see if I can uh, emulate that that Do brilliant it. treble of 1994. <laughs> Two pound to win twenty four quid back. Well, I'm um, the, the only thing I'm doing is I'm in a prediction league, which I got kind of swayed into at the last minute, and I'm currently second in my group, which I'm quite happy with. So, uh, doing all right. I've got what, what do you what do you get for that? Two hundred and fifty quid. Oh, wow. Whoa, so yeah. yeah. Gonna, oh. Do you know Do you know why I got in the sweepstakes? Who did you get? Panama and Saudi Arabia. You done well there, didn't you? Oh, I done brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> There's a waste of a couple of quid. Uh, well, we're not keeping it 90s, but you should. And uh, make sure you listen to us. There'll be a full-length episode coming your way next week, as well as more this week in the 90s. But until next time, I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. And until next time, keep it 90s. Alive and